ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Hey everybody, Brian David Marshall here uh, with Zvi Moshowitz again, the Pro Tour Champion and Hall of Famer and now regular guest on Top 8 Magic these days. Um, Zvi, we talked about Limited last time. Uh, I will have you know I, I lost two white decks in the draft. I don't think this is a criticism of your assessment of the strategy of the metagame. Just my opponents both had really good synergistic adventure decks. Also, you played red cards. I did play red cards. I apologize. <laughs> I don't think I had. I don't think I had another good option. So in- you played red cards in a deck that wasn't trying to be super aggressive, which was specifically a like I don't think there's a deck there. And you ended up with a bunch of removal spells in red, which yeah. were good. But your, your creatures were atrocious because they were aiming at this weird, like, give you this awkward attack where I might just kill you thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't even, I, I mean, I right. just had whatever creatures right, I could right. fit which, in. Right, right. Which, like, I understand, like, in a normal regular draft, like, you can play this red-black deck of, because there's a bunch of removal spells available and your creatures are terrible and somehow you win. Right. Magic no longer works that way. Yeah, like, it's pretty obvious that it didn't. I, I played one game, my first game with the deck I played, I, I did pretty, had a pretty clean win, and my opponent seemed pretty frustrated, and then I realized afterwards it was because they had a Lucky Clover uh, Ardwall Innkeeper, or whatever it's called. Edgewall Innkeeper. And, and, yeah, Edgewall Innkeeper. And a million adventure. Like, every... Sometimes they get there... It was insane. Mike um, can, can do thing. Like, right, if you get yeah, there. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's that, like, by default, it's, it's not going to get there. But it definitely can. Yeah. And adventure is sort of... That's the thing White Green is supposed to do. It's just that I don't think the cards are there the majority of the time. In the draft, right? They just don't open slash Edgewell and Keeper's an obvious windmill slam first pick for the start of the draft. So how do you get it? So if I was in your seat, yeah, I would have been black green just like every other draft. Yeah. I think we discussed like exactly how I would have gotten there so early. I, so I opened up with uh, baked into a pie. Right, which I would have taken. Right. And then uh, second pick was like... I just took a very medium black card. I believe you took a Tempting Witch over a Tree Folk and a Trap from the Tower. Yeah, the Tree Folk is what I should have taken. I think so. I think the Trap from the Tower is obviously the best card by a mile, and I just have no interest in being there right now. I'm going to follow the rule like I always do. The rule (laughs) changes. Principle stays the same. Tree Folk is just a much higher impact card. The thing about Tempting Witch is that card like almost costs BG1. Right. right, like in terms of it being a card you can possibly right. take here. Right. And no one else really wants it. So you're, it's going to wheel a lot. Like, I understood what you were doing. Yeah. But I was confident it was a mistake. It, well, it, and, and it's obvious to me in hindsight that it's a mistake because, again, this was my first attempt to do anything with Throne of Eldraine cards. I haven't played any arena. I hadn't played at the pre-release. And I was kind of like reverting to sort of safe magic practices as opposed to the synergy. Right, whereas my, my safe magic practice in this set is no, just draft black and green cards. <laughs> because... Right, and so if I'm going to take the yeah. Tempting Witch, I should actually be taking the tree. Right, because you're taking... You have this deck that can attack and block and get under them and go over them and fly over them and pound the ground and gain life and et cetera, et, yeah. et cetera. So any piece that you are given... 
right? You can make work. You just change what your deck's about based on what pieces you were given. And then in each matchup, you sideboard based on what type of player you're up against. So like if you are up against a player who you know doesn't know how to beat you quickly, you can sideboard into this really grindy deck. And if you're up against a player who you know is only trying to beat you really quickly, you can just stay alive and so on. It's the kind of thing where you can very much beat a player who isn't very sophisticated very reliably, right? Whereas a lot of the other decks end up with, I have to do this thing and I hope this thing works. Uh, and also, like, with the removal deck, it's often very safe because you can kill the things that threaten you, but it also kind of forces you into this position where you have to make this one move every turn because, like, obviously this thing has to die, this thing has to die, this thing has to die. And then if you just draw less stuff than them or it doesn't line up properly, then you lose. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, yeah. I lost a round to Constructed Card. Right. Which is the... I mean, I, obviously there were Constructed Cards. The Lucky Clover yeah. deck is a deck people are playing, but uh, I lost to the Giant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're not... I think, like, Duke and the... Peter and the other guys didn't have Clover. I think they were just running the deck without it. Right. And I think it's clearly not, doesn't belong in the way that they're building it because they, they don't have that kind of time. <laughs> and Constructed was my summary of that. But, like, I think if you go the green route, like, you pick up the Great Henge in pack three, right? Yeah. Because you opened it. Yeah. And I think we get a handful of reasonable green creatures and that ends up doing more for you with those two cards than what the red did. And you have a better deck. Right. And a more synergistic deck on top of it. Yeah, I, I also rare drafted quite a bit. Two <laughs> uh, twice. But like also like keep in mind we can go to the videotape. I have video of that yeah. draft. We're not going to. Let's not. Yeah. Exactly. I think it was an option. Like I'm yeah. sitting here watching anyway, right? Yeah. I was experimenting. Yeah, Realm Cloak Giant was the other Yeah, that, that that's, that's gonna just, happen. I was just like, oh, all right. And my opponent had like four cards out on adventure for after the round, you just get four giant. for one. It's like it was crazy. Yeah, because seven so seven good. and the raff are both two for ones, so you're yeah. gonna get four for one minimum. It's just it's it's a disaster. Yeah, yeah, that card is ridiculous. Like I will change to white if I see that card. Yeah. Like that that that's good enough. Yeah, I can I can be persuaded. I'm not an I'm not <laughs> a monster. Not an unreasonable man. No. Um, huh. So in the meantime, you you ended up having a pretty interesting weekend. You played in the. Uh, open access event. I don't know what they were calling that event. Yeah, so I previously played 12 games of Constructed in this format because I've been given free 12 games on Arena. Yeah. Uh, the first half of that, I played a deck I posted on Twitter, a green splash blue um, Oko green aggro deck. Like you do. Like you do. I think I was 4-2 and two or 5-1 and one or something like that. And I was having trouble because other people were playing other green decks. And when, you, when you know, you're, you're counting on Oko as your removal spell and they play Yorvos, it's like, huh, I'm in a lot of trouble here. <laughs> I'm trying to be, no, it doesn't work at all. And then I saw uh, Gottlieb's win with the, uh, what I call the Doom Patrol deck. And said, this looks like fun. I'll give this a try. And then... Could not lose a game for the other half, for the back end of that set, despite my best efforts. And my best efforts were pretty good. Like, I tried hard to lose those games. Like, it's like <laughs> I didn't understand how the deck was working, and I just made misplay after misplay. So, obviously, everyone, everyone knows what, what this deck is at this point, but this is basically a deck built around Doom Foretold and uh, a suite of Cantrip Artifacts and Oath of Kaya, and then... Um, gaining huge amounts of card advantage off of Dance of the Mance. Yeah, it's just a matter of every card in your deck makes your situation a little bit better. You are slightly better set up each step of the way to assemble enough permanence to force Doom Foretold. Every time Doom Foretold triggers, 
You drain this for two, you draw a card, they discard a card, they've lost all of their non-token permanence. Once it triggers once, you're almost always in the driver's seat. Unless they're playing Golos, you've pretty much got it made at that point. I mean, it feels like it's like a weird combo deck that it's not, it doesn't really have a combo kill. It's combo control is kind of what it feels like. Yeah, I, I felt I was treating it much more like an Esper control deck from the last cycle than I was treating it like any kind of stacks or anything. I'm just here to put you in this bind where if you swarm the battlefield, I'm going to sweep you. Don't swarm the battlefield. The Doom Foretold. Right. Now, you... Uh, now, we watched a bunch of Huey streaming with the deck that was obviously inspired by the Gottlieb deck. Right, and I, saw, I actually watched Huey stream a bit before building this. And then I saw a bunch of Huey's one-ofs, and I thought, this looks really cool. I think I should, I should do something similar. And so that's trust Huey and just see what happens. That's where a lot of my list came from. And then what apparently I didn't realize, and maybe I copied Huey who was also doing it, and I just, nobody's ever realized, but like, I only put one of the eggs in the deck. <laughs> I put golden egg in, which is the better egg, because you don't need to cycle more than one mana very, yeah, at any point, pretty much ever. It's, it's highly weird. Uh, and you're supposed to technically have these other four eggs, or so I'm told, that fix your mana and provide you with extra things to draw cards on and bounce with your teferis and bring back with your dances. I shouldn't have them. Interesting. So you're down four cards from the version that, the original version. Uh, and so what did you do? Play more lands? How did you... I played more removal spells. I had a Legion's End and a third Murderous Rider and a Cry of the Cranarium. And I mean, the Dovin's Veto is potentially just like a weird one off that like, doesn't necessarily make sense. And I got the Talisman in the deck, uh, the Witchclaw Talisman, so that I could go get the things that I needed, which really pulls the thing together, right? Because it's like... Are, are you playing less land? I think so. I think I'm running 25. <laughs> um, and they're running 26, which just struck me as wrong. But it's like, well, you, you're playing a curve that mostly stops at four. You've got lots of cantrips. Like, Deferi is basically a cantrip. Egg is a cantrip, so you're eight cantrips down. You really want to hit land four a lot, but if you miss land five, nothing happens to you, basically. Because you have, like, the one-pointer cleansing to aim higher, and firing it off on turn six is really not what you're trying to do. It's just sort of a long-term thing you like in your deck in case you want to go get it, or you just want to, yeah, at some point, see a bunch of Planeswalkers off the board, or someone try something. Uh, it's just another way to put them in the fork, right? Because, like, four Kaya's Wraths isn't really quite enough. So, like, having a little back, bit of backup is right. really sweet. Now, let me ask you, without, without the second set of eggs, do you have enough material to sacrifice to Doom Foretold to keep it going so you can keep your opponent sort of on that path? So I lost one Doom Foretold to itself in the yeah. 13 games. And I was annoyed... Yeah. I was like, well, it would have been nice to actually trigger this thing, but it still did its job. It killed the thing it had to kill, and then it died, and then I won the game. It's not that big a tragedy, right? If you, if they have one important, they play some four mana thing, and you play Doom Foretold, and they lose their thing, and then you lose your Doom Foretold. It's like they didn't win you the game, but you're still a deck full of grindy grinds that, like, beat your opponent senseless. And if you have Oath of Kaya or an Egg, that's eight things that are easy to sack. And Teferi is also a very easy sacrifice more often than not. I have no problem taking a Teferi on one or two loyalty and tossing it in the bin instead of an egg. 
because I don't need to do that. I mean, were there some cool moments like responding to a uh, Vivian activation on Grove Chamber Guardian with a player cleansing? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm sad I couldn't see the look on that guy's face. But mostly, Teferi was a bounce spell that sat there. That was it. You know, there weren't people trying to, like, people don't try to play counter spells anymore because of Teferi, basically. Right. And just isn't a fit for what people were doing mostly. So there wasn't much interaction I worried about. It's not like people play creature removal spells against me. There's nothing to kill. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we, we just saw that the ban and restricted announcement happened or didn't happen, as it were. It was a blank announcement. They did nothing. Um, which, you know, I know I'm sure the popper community is a little upset about Astrolabe. If it didn't get, uh, nothing got banned in any formats. No changes is my understanding. Okay. Um, but for standard, there was some hope from people that Field of the Dead would get banned. So when I first heard that, there was hope. It was this morning. And my first initial reaction was confusion. It's not dominating. It's a good deck. Some people say it's the best deck, but things are new. They're still in flux. Why would you preemptively ban a card? like immediately in a new standard format where people were trying lots of stuff. And then I thought about it for a minute and I changed my tune to, no, that actually makes perfect sense. Not that I'm calling for it or anything, but that actually Golos mirrors are deeply unfun sure, and deeply bad on camera and make tournaments last forever and make people want to quit magic. Those things are bad. And even if you're playing Golos against something else, it's still not good for magic. And it's just not, you know, it's just not a great play pattern. So. Maybe for the good of the game, we should acknowledge that that card was a mistake. You can have mistakes that are just mistakes, not I broke the game mistakes, just this encouraged people to play magic in a less fun way mistakes. And the lesser of the two evils is to eat the, eat the ban. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but you know, if we end up having, as the you know, smart money says, about 23 and a half players... <laughs> With Goloses in their decks at the Mythic Invitational in two weeks, that's about a third of the field. So it's Mythic Championship 5 in Long Beach. Yeah, they're saying it's about a third of the field is the best guess that we found. Right. We'll run Golos. You, you, you were looking at the betting lines for that, right? You saw the... I am just saying what the wisdom of some people might be. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I would never endorse such a thing. I don't know. I, nothing could be further from my mind. But... I did see some people express that about a third of the field is the expectation for Golos. And my guess is that good players who are experts at standard and don't mind the grind and the weird, terrible mirror matchup where their opponents won't know it as well as they will, or so they would hope, uh, will be eager to play it. And the players who want to either be innovators who don't go that way or just think that someone like yeah, you know, a Brad Nelson or a Seth Manfield will just understand this mirror better than them and doesn't want to touch it. Will go aggro or some other way because aggro is the obvious way to beat goals. Just go under this deck that's like super slow to develop out of the gate. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons not to do it, but it's a very strong deck. Now, when we when Standard first turned when the when the new set came out and people. Talk, the Doom Foretold deck, the Doom Patrol deck, was was doing really well. It had some good results early on for Brian Gottlieb in a number of events uh, on Arena. 
Where did it go? What happened to it? So the conventional wisdom here, I think, is that it was a good week one in air quotes deck. Right. Because when nobody knew what was going on, what you were doing, and therefore they didn't guard their permanents properly. They didn't know when to deploy an extra permanent so the Doom Foretold wouldn't work. They didn't know when to just not deploy anything so the Doom Foretold wouldn't get anything important. They didn't know how to manage their situation against all the different cards. That it was a great surprise. But that, yeah, once people were comfortable and they know exactly how to play against it, you're playing a deck that kind of only can do the thing that it's doing. It isn't actually that powerful. I'm going to figure out how to do these Golos decks properly. They have a bigger long-term explosive path. This is not, you know, people are going to sideboard against you. They're going to figure things out. It's not the way. And you could certainly argue that the reason why I was able to beat people over the weekend and get my one with everything was because they didn't know what they were doing. And certainly there were multiple games where I watched them do something. And I said, oh, you don't understand how these cards work. You are just making a mistake. And one of the interesting things about testing in a format like that is, you know, I won 12 games and I lost one. But they were definitely a bunch of games where it's like, I see what you did there. And there was an interesting thing you could have done that would have presented a challenge. And I don't know what happens next. And you didn't do it. And so I just won. Right. And what do I count that as, right? Like, every time I watched a, one of the two Golos players I played against throw an extra land into, onto the battlefield that he didn't have to play, thus getting more oh. zombies killed, <laughs> I thought to myself, well, I'm glad you did that. So they hold the land back, they don't make a zombie, and then you ultimately end up having to sacrifice your own doom foretold to your stuff. Not, it never comes to that, as far as I could tell. But there definitely was an aspect of, like, they get so excited, they go, I'm going to play a land. I'm going to generate two tokens. I'm going to play an Arboreal Grazer. I'm going to generate two more tokens. I'm going to play Grosspire. I'm going to generate two more tokens. And I'm like, Wrath, Doom Foretold, go. <laughs> and they've even gotten their Grazer, which is a permanent, out of the way for me. Right. right. They could have used that later to guard something else and forced me to actually do something about it. And they just used it to throw more guys into the, into the hay. So, like... I won one of those games by decking my opponent because he literally just ran out of lands to play for threats. Uh, now, I, I could have tried to win the game another way, but it just seems safer not to because he's not playing counter spells and he's not playing discard, so I can just hold my, my stuff in my hand. He's clearly the one who's going to get decked, and I'm not in any danger, so prove to me why I'm at 26 and should be afraid of you. <laughs> and it turns out, eh, right? Like you got to play, even with four, like the, even with four... Land, you know, the dead. 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 I keep saying Lake of the Dead if I don't grasp yeah, myself. Yeah, I've said Lake of the Dead right. multiple times. You, need a, you, know, you still need to play multiple lands, even after all four come out, before I have to deal with it, or I can just put a murderous rider in front of them and nothing happens forever. And so, you know, it's... You can't do it that many times. You have, like, what, 27 lands in these decks, right? You need the first seven to start, so you're down to 20. <laughs> and, yeah. What, uh... <laughs> how do, how, who do you think is favored in the matchup? between Golos and uh, Doom Foretold, in, in maybe in the version that you're, you looked at, which has it seems fewer, like, fewer yeah, cantrips. It seems like a match to me. Uh, Golos basically doesn't activate because it's really, really hard to get the mana for that. So it, it gives you a field, so it's still good. But 
the trick is that you have a significant number of turns to set up during which you're grinding out card advantage and they're deploying lands. And you can thought erasure them to try and get their key cards. It felt like you start grinding them and then they find a hydroid crisis. This is both games. And then you start grinding them, and they find a second hydroid crisis. And then you start grinding them, and they are a third hydroid crisis. And in one of the games, I never found the doom foretold during this entire process. And so I wasn't grinding them that well. And they got away. Right? Yeah. Like, they got away from me. And the other game, you found all four hydroid crises, but I did have doom foretold. And then I was able to trade aggressively enough, slash, keep my card advantage thing going, that I was able to just run him out of stuff that mattered. And so it definitely seems to me like, well, if I hit you with an unmoored ego, I think I can definitely by name Field of the Dead. And you don't have one in play yet. Isn't the game just over? Because at this point, you're running, well, 23 lands, but I killed four of them. But like you're running 23 lands, four Aboyo Grazers, four Circuitous Routes, four Grove Spirals, yada, yada, yada. A, a lot of vapor. A lot of vapor that doesn't do anything. And you're only drawing to Hydroid Crisis to really, and Golos, to capitalize on that. And I've got new foretolds and thought erasures and rafts, and, like, certainly if I, I'm not going to take the rafts out, I need to kill the zombies, so they're still there. So, you basically only have, like, eight cards left that can realistically kill me. I have a lot of answers to them. You're not going to kill me. You know, you, you might, you're going to play a lot of stuff and then slowly die, as I eventually grind you out somehow. And even if I don't get Field of the Dead, right? Suppose I, it's too late, right? One or two of them is already in play. I think I can just name Hydroid Crisis. <laughs> I, I think this is easier than it looks. I think that once Crisis is gone from that deck, they need to spend a card every time they want to make zombies. And they need to spend a card every time they want to do anything else. And I'm just continuously grinding the situation better and better. And by the time the zombies actually kill me, it takes forever. You have to deploy a lot of zombies to put me under real pressure, at which point I wrath. Right. Right? And I have a lot of them. Yeah, I def- definitely saw a lot of talk. Uh, people who aren't talking about banning the card, talking about look- looking for solutions to the card. One of the cards that came up is uh, Revenge of the Raven, Revenge of Ravens. Yeah, which a lot of builds that I've seen have literal no ways to get rid of. Right? Once it hits play, they can maybe try an Agent of Treachery and take it. But I think that's the only thing they can do about it. And then against a deck of Teferi, that's not a great solution, right. right, in general, to these types of problems, unless they kill you on the spot, which is a problem. But, you know, if you're counting on that as your only solution to that, well, you hit this format of enchantment, and now you can never net win on life on a combat for the rest of the game, unless you attack up a Hydroid Crisis or a Golos. Right. And Golos only hit nets through one. So you're basically just counting on Hydroid Crisis. Right. At that point, and you can you can dance with the man sit back. And so we, you know, we we talked about this. Yeah, earlier. you pointed that out. Is you know they can you can still make them sacrifice even if they age, even if they age agent it. Yeah, right? I, I, they can deferry also. They can deferry to bounce it. Yeah, and they just try to kill you on the spot. Right. That's the right. that's the weakness of the plan. Is oh, that sure. like sure. they only need one moment of attack if they have a big enough zombie horde. Sure, it's still clearly a good way to annoy the hell out of them if they're <laughs> trying to kill you. If that's the plan, the problem being, of course, that means you're accepting that they're going to get... So this is the problem with the card Unlimited, right? Is that you play Revenge of Ravens, you're playing a 4 drop doesn't attack. And so this can be a way to just not actually take control of the game, and then this gives them a chance to do something. I have had a number of games at this point where, like, they played a Revenge of Ravens where I played, like, a, you know, a Fierce Witch Stalker, and I have a 4-4, or whatever the, the wolf is called. And then, like... The other creature's just sitting there, and I just attack with my 4-4, and he drains me for one, and he doesn't have a good block. 
<laughs> and like that happens four times, then I win. Right. Right. You know, it's not that weird. Right. Which is the hydroid crisis argument, also, right? Like, right. You know, it's like, okay, you've got a Ranger Ravens, I'll attack you for five. I have, <laughs> I have four once upon a times and four crisis and four Golos, and I'm just going to find a way to make this work for me. Right. The problem being, yeah, if I take out the crisis, suddenly once upon a time, it's just going to whiff, right? It's going to get you a land. Right. But. You know, the only really beefy hits left are the Goloses. And you can try to get to 10 and activate them once, I guess. But, like, most of the stuff you activate now just goes into play and then gets wrapped along off the Golos. You hit another Golos, it's legendary. Or you get it on the land, and again, your lakes are gone. I mean, your fields are gone. So, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be great if everyone just aggressively agreed to call it Lake of the Dead every time <laughs> and just like with a completely straight face. But it's not going to happen. But so I just, it feels very winnable to me. The big concern is that like you have these rafts in your deck. And because they're playing control, you would love to just take it in some sense, right? You'd love to just take them out. Right. But you can't. Because like that's actually why they kill you, is they kill you with a giant crisis, they kill you with a bunch of tokens. You can seriously win those games. So those four are Kaya's Wraths and that Planar Cleansing, which is kind of like, and by the way, I have to kill my own stuff along with your stuff. So it's a very sad Wrath. Kind of, you don't want them to leave. Right. So I think I might take out, it's possibly take out the Planar Cleansing for like, you want like a Realm Poke Giant or two in that slot instead. You just want to keep the same number of, you know, you still want to have your five or six sweepers situation. Like I have a Cry of the Quinarium and the Legion's End in my main deck right now. I'm pretty sure the Legion's End can come out. And the Cry can probably come out. Because, you know, you're trying, you're planning to unboard Ego to break this thing up anyway. So you have a decent shot. So that gets you two slots. And I'm thinking you have, you know, Dovin's Veto actually might just not do anything. Because their key payoff cards are all creatures. So maybe right. just it comes out. So that gets you three slots. And you bring in three unboard Egos. And then we talk about adjustments. I'm looking at Narset in the okay. matchup just because it... They don't have a way to attack it, so you just get to impulse twice because you don't have any creatures. You basically have no creatures in your deck. <laughs> oh yeah, and murderous rider isn't necessary anymore, okay. right? Because again, like it's I mean, it's killing Deferi, which is nice, but it's not a big deal. So you can certainly cut one of those, and so you can you can progress a little bit, and you can bring in like unmorty go in some haymakers, right? So like things like command the dread horde, if they you know, or which is a little risky against them, so it might not be the best place for it. You know, Liliana. A, you know, again, you know, something like a Narset is in context kind of a haymaker. Um, but like anything that costs, you know, five, six, that just like owns the battlefield is on the table. And just find a way to just, you know, overpower them because they're giving you all kinds of time. Right. And like, again, if you, you know, they have Veil of Summer to counter Unmoored Ego, but you also have Flood Erasure. And if they counter your Flood Erasure, it's sad, but. <laughs> they're bringing in like two veils maybe yeah. three so asking them to veil anything but thought erasure is is not reasonable right uh we, you know we, we talked off podcast about the again the the eggs in the deck and you you, you were much more interested in thought erasuring on turn two than casting right, unless a, a card draw spell unless you have a specific plan yeah for you know i I'm planning to do foretold on turn four because that's how this game is going to progress, sure. right? You you want turn three to be your I deploy a permanent turn, right? Where you play Oath of Kyre to Fairy, 
so that you have something to sacrifice is the ideal right in my mind or the egg maybe comes out later once you've seen the coast is cleared it's stopped for an egg but you don't need a second permanent right because like if you go turn doom foretold on turn four then you untap sacrifice the one thing now i have my fifth turn and i can play my egg now and then a three drop thing or i can just deploy something else to sacrifice like a teferi or you know whatever it is or i can and this is what i've asked you to do kill your permanent (laughs) with something else right like i just like raffle your board murderous rider your guy just kill their permanence do foretold triggers i draw they discard i drain them for two i get a knight they they they're already <laughs> dust as far as i'm concerned right yeah. they're dust in the wind because now i'm drawing cards i don't have a deck full of eggs so i'm drawing not that much whiff and i've ground them a decent amount and now my three dances are already live because even if it just brings back two things that's effectively another board sweeper. So now, you know, my deck has six more doom, dooms in it, right? Effectively, plus all the rafts, plus all the discards, plus all the trigger, plus all the synergies, plus the wishbone. How am I going to lose? So, so you, a card I want to ask you about is the Wishclaw Talisman. Right. Um, certainly watching the Huey stream with it, it was like, it seemed like one of the coolest things. It's like he just does sweet thing after sweet thing right. every turn, right? It's like, go wait, play Wishclaw Talisman, give it to you, go get Teferi, Teferi, bounce my Wishclaw Talisman, and you're like, oh! So I, let me get this straight. <laughs> I go get a Teferi, so I'm, I just have a Teferi. I play the Teferi, I bounce the Wishclaw Talisman, so now I've drawn a card, and I have a Planeswalker in play that you have to deal with. Right. And in exchange, Nothing. Right, I just spent five. Yeah, I spent the three, four, five, six mana doing it, and so that's the plan A. I think one of the mistakes I made during the run is I kept being like, I could just go for the win, but I don't have to, right? Like this just works. Let's just not think about it. Let's not risk somehow them having control of a talisman if something goes wrong. I don't know what's in their deck. Like maybe they have something I don't know about. I don't know. But, yeah, it's the other thing is, like, people are so terrified of giving the opponent a Wishclaw Talisman. And your opponent isn't? Because, like, if you, if you actually just use it, right? Say it's turn three, and you're like, I don't have land three. All right, I'll use the Talisman. I'll go get a land. I'll put it into play. I'll play an egg and go. And they're like, I'm top of a Talisman. So if they don't use it, Right. They're just, Teferi is just hanging over their head for the rest of this game, right? The moment I find a Teferi, I'm going to put it back in my hand. Right. And if they do use it, I get it back. Right. So you get, you get two cards to their right. one. I get two to their one, and then it sits on their side of the board with no counters on it until I draw a Teferi oh. and put it back in my hand like ten turns later. Right. It's not, it's not I like mean, you they can, can even sacrifice it. They can yeah. sacrifice it to Doom. Sure. So I don't want them to have it. It's right. permanent. So right. like, I'm sad about it. But like, it's just... Yeah, between the Teferi thing and they get the planar cleansing and blow it up thing, that costs a bunch of mana, and the just I dare you do something relevant thing, which is a pretty standard, because if you're playing Doom Foretold, right, if I say, say that I I play a Doom Foretold, say I, I say I go get Doom Foretold, I play Doom Foretold with like an oath and an egg or something, and I pass you the Wishclaw Talisman, and you sacrifice the Wishclaw Talisman, and then I'm fine. Or you sacrifice the other thing. Right. And then you keep the wish squad talisman, you tutor for something. Yeah, it just doesn't feel that I'm not sure what I'm afraid of, right? Like, right. if you tutor for something 
and say, go, oh, maybe I just go get a thought eraser and thought eraser you. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like I can, like, there, there's a lot of games where it sat in my hand for a long time. Right. But that's fine, right? Like, it's a late game card disguised in the two drop they can use as an emergency land or emergency Kaya's draft or something early on. It's also an emergency backup, like, Doom Foretold Enabler on turn four, right? So it's like if you have to play it on turn two or three so that you can sacrifice it to Doom Foretold on your fifth, up, fifth turn's upkeep, you didn't draw a card from it, but so what? And you can still dance it back later. Right. It's fine. I, it feels like the, some of the lists I've seen before your list that the Talisman had come out of a lot of people's lists. Yeah, because they, they have the eight cantrips. And so it also doesn't serve any purpose in terms of the backup two-mana artifact thing. Because, like, they have so many things to bring back and so many things to cantrip off of. Right. It also means that their mana is so busy that, like, the point where it's, like, six mana to draw an extra card and generate annoyance takes a lot longer to become the thing that matters to them, right? But, and they also don't have room for as many nice, sweet one-offs. But it's just a matter of they have no space. They need to find room for all the other things. And... When I look at the initial list, yeah, there's a lot of, like, you know, the, like, the original was actually, I forget, who built it first? I think it was Gottlieb. Yeah, I think it was it Gottlieb, yeah. So, like, it was three Doom Foretolds, right? Like, right. the initial build, and then everyone realized, no, you'd play six. <laughs> I mean, I would. Right. Right? I'm not sure if I played seven, but I think I played six. I mean, I just, Dance is just a bad, I mean, Dance is almost just a bad Doom Foretold <laughs> that eventually happens to kill them, but you didn't need to do that. They'd die. Like, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me answer a question about a different wish card. Yeah. Then, uh, have you thought about Fae of Wishes as a card at all for this deck? I have. I think it's just not fast enough. Obviously, the appeal of... So the, the adventure is 3U at some yeah. sort of speed, which is a little hard to do. Yeah, there's something... Like, I, like, I like the idea of having a 1-4 flying blocker on turn 2 against some decks and having a permanent against those decks and going and getting something and then having a permanent sacrifice that's a flyer I don't care about and I like the Deferi bounce the, the, the thing same as the Wishclaw Talisman. But... I, and I do have a toolboxy sideboard when I just looked at what the sideboard was going to be. Right. So, like, just putting one in the deck straight up without thinking about it, like, might make maybe it's supposed to, maybe that Legion's End is supposed to be a Fay of Wishes. Right. Right. And then you put a Legion's End in your sideboard it's, if you need it. I mean, I cut it this morning, but it, <laughs> it might be there anyway, right? So it's, yeah, you, you, and then that's a reasonable swap. I mean, the thing is that, like, one of the reasons to play Legion's End is there for a combination of just, like, Good times and I catch a second copy. Grove Chamber Guardian and Zombies, right, are all very good reasons to play Legion's End. But after board, once you know that that's what they're up to, right, if they're not, there's a lot of times like, well, now I have better sweepers available to me. I don't really, and I have my choice of cards. I don't really want this anymore necessarily because I know that I don't need it. Because like, against the zombie deck, like, Legion's End is no longer serving the purpose of the two drop, obviously. You don't need a two-drop. What am I going to do? Call your Boreal Grazer and hope to catch a second one? Like, there's no real point. So I'd rather just have a much more expensive sweeper that's more reliable. Right. Right? That can hit other things. In particular, I want to make sure I can hit Golos and I can hit Hydroid Crisis. So I'm much more interested in having a giant or a planar cleansing. All right. So moving, moving forward with this deck in, in standard, uh, it seems like it's good against Golos. Like... It's one of those matchups... Slightly advantaged? It seems like it's one of those matchups where the games are going to go pretty long, and the player who understands what's going on and dedicates their cards and the play lines and knowledge to winning is going to win. 
I wouldn't be surprised if there are matchups in the big championship where if you gave this guy this the the, the Doom deck the way they'd build it and this guy the Gogo's deck the way he'd build it, it's eighty twenty for the match. And then you give it to two different people and it's eighty twenty the other way. Okay. Right. Um, the same way that like the Fae of Wishes for the Jace thing just totally swings game one in the in the Golos mirror reasonably often because nobody has any discard and nobody has a way to kill anyone. Right. <laughs> uh, seems like the deck has got to be very good against aggro. It feels great to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm just trying to understand where it's positioned right now. Seems like with four Oaths of Kaya's and then multiple five plus rafts yeah, and a bunch and of cantrips and do foretold is just really good at killing creatures too yeah and then things just slowly get worse for them yeah no it's it's the one issue is that you are turn one go every time right the only thing you do on turn one is play tap them. and then turn two is either take a card out of your hand or play an egg most of the time right you technically have a legion's end but like you're not again disrupting them on turn two so you start on turn three and the question is, is that enough? So, like, back in the previous standard, like, you know, when you put an Esper deck and you had to say go on turn two, you were a little scared, especially on the draw, that, like, your turn three off of Kaya turn four Raph, like, might not get there. Right. But I just, yeah, I don't see very many people playing strategies where that's that terrifying. You know, the green decks start generating card advantage and start doing things, but, like, nothing that, like, makes you scared that you're attached on turn two and you're going to lose the game. Right. Now, your turn three to fairy bounce a thing, your turn three off of Kaya kill a thing, seems like it's enough. And then, you know, back it up with Doom Foretold, and so we find the play, there's just nothing to be scared of. What, so what, what's the really bad matchup for it, then? Is it like a mid-rangey Simic Flash deck, or? Simic Flash feels like it should be scary, just like on priors, in the sense that yeah, that's kind of that's where my instincts are they as can, well. They can just, like, you're doing everything at sorcery speed, and they're doing everything at instant speed, and they can, like, pair things off in the right way and start grinding you down with extra card draws or something. But also they have to kind of deploy a bunch of stuff to try and kill you, and you have a lot of wraths, and you have thought erasures for their actual counter spells and to see their hand, and... I don't know, right? Like... You have the same, they, they're, they're very vulnerable to the same forks, right? If Doom Foretold resolves or gets put back into play, nothing good happens to them, <laughs> right? Like, it's very hard for them to draw that many extra cards that quickly. When I was playing Simic Flash in the 2020 queue, I was using Grove Chamber Guardian. Right. And Incubation Druid, actually. So the, the idea was I would have this amount of extra power where if you gave me this, I, I gave you this little window. And then when I untap with, with, with the window closing, now I'm on top of the world and I can start generating lots of advantage. And it seems really scary with this kind of deck to pass. They, they get a Grove Chamber Guardian, they just say go. And now what do you do? Because you have to cast everything as a sorcery, right. except for Murderous Rider. And if they don't do that, they're playing a lot of cards that are like, I'm not sure that does very much, necessarily, in that spot. Or slash, it's very hard for them to generate large advantage, right? Like, they are a very grindy, a slow grind deck. So, they give you a lot of time to put your your life together. You have, again, five plus sweepers. And they don't run that many counter spells. And Quash, Quench goes dead after a while. So, it's, <laughs> it's tricky. 
Uh, mystical. Dis- I mean, obviously, if you're scared, like mystical dispute is a amazing sideboard card. You just counterspell their response to whatever you do for one mana. Veil of Summer seems like a, a fine card for for that deck to have access to, too, though, right? Like, so- I mean, they're going to get Veil of Summer, but that card is only a solution to some of their problems, right? Because, <laughs> like, if they sit on Veil of Summer, it's a cantrip. Right. So, it's, yeah, they're going to have things to do, but it doesn't counter Kaya's Wrath or Doom Foretold uh, or your Mystical Dispute or Dovin's Veto defending your spell. Right. Which are all huge things they have to worry about. So it counters, it cantrip counters Thought Erasure. It's pretty sweet. But I'm not sure what, and in my cantrip counters Murderous Rider, if it's in your deck. Sure. To think it is, because I think you want to go end step, Rider something, untap, action. Right? You want to be able to do the game back to them, probably. But maybe it's just not, right? If they're not running, like, are they running Oko in their build? Right? Because, like, a lot of people are running Oko basically in everything now. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's one of these things where there's no obviously terrible matchup, right? But then people stop playing it. So, like, Jerry Thompson's article this morning, like, he's talking about mid-range, uh, you know, food, food, specific food. And he's like, yeah, eggs aren't a problem. It's just they go a stack that doesn't do anything. It just cycles a bunch of eggs. And that just seems like such a huge mischaracterization of what's going on me yeah right like that's yeah you you have tools you can win but that's not a good description of the situation you know it, it's yes you will run away with the game if you get to like dance the manse for four and bring back like an egg and oath of kaya and uh being foretold and you haven't completely dominated this game because yeah the only you know you only have so many planeswalkers and so many wolves and you have to sacrifice them one by one <laughs> and then you're done right right so yeah no, it, it, it's a sweet deck I'm, I'm excited to to try it out I, I love the take of cutting down on the, I mean I don't right like philosophically you know I like historically as many cantrips in my deck as possible Let's but see. I also understand that you have been correct over the years in our discussions <laughs> about like cutting these cards that just get you to more cards that get you to more cards. Right, four might as opposed be, to yeah. actually getting somewhere. Yeah, four might be wrong, right? It might be five. Right. But I'm damn sure it isn't eight. Like, even if it was eight game one, it sure as hell isn't eight in the 75 for the elephant, right? Because, right? like, if you have eight, how are you boarding? Right. Are you leaving them in against who? Right. Like, how? Right? Like, where do you find the space? And, and, and then maybe there'd be places where I would welcome it just because I just want to draw more mana sources and get to my few good cards, but I don't think so. You know, it's just, no, I don't think so. so. Um, now, what's the plan for you right now? We talked a little bit about Limited. Uh, in terms of your preparation for the myth, the Mythic Championship in uh, Richmond, uh, or is it the players? Tour Who cares at this point? <laughs> uh, it's like the weather, wait a week, right? Yeah. Like. <laughs> what? Well, and in fact, it's also like buses because we have a Mythic Championship coming along, and then there's another Mythic Championship coming up right behind it. Um, no, no, no! I live on 14th Street. The buses work now. <laughs> what, what do you? <laughs> What's your plan with 
a mythic championship being like two weeks away or a week and a half away at this point, do you play standard between now and then, or do you just wait for these 68 players to bust, you know, to, to bust standard as best they can and then iterate off of that? I think mostly the latter in terms of it comes down to how much time do I have? How many drafts on arena slash magic online? If I'm willing to suffer, right. could I do? And the answer is no, I'm not willing to suffer. Like I'm willing to do it in person. It's way better, but right. you know, I, I, I think I'm already working nearing, on it. Working on it. I'm nearing the point where I feel like an extra arena draft is a way for me to like, you know, net probably break even or so on gems because random stuff happens. Like I lost a draft recently because my computer crashed. That seems to be going on around a bunch this week. I'm kind of frustrated. I've, I've actually had a lot of problems. Like I said, my, my computer is super old and I've been obviously stalling, getting a new computer for a long time. Uh, but I, I've had problems installing arena. The number of times, my uh, the number of times my computer has crashed without arena running zero. So <laughs> yeah, I lost the first round fair and square to someone who had some good cards. Right. And I'm playing round two. I'm up. Someone's playing red cards. I'm up a game. I'm stabilizing the board. It's pretty much over. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll grind some of this out. My deck's like a fine, normal, you know, standard food deck. And my computer crashes. And then I'm like, well, okay, I'm up a game. So if I can reboot fast enough, if it gives me too, like, you know, it'd be nice if it, because like when Magic Online came out and your computer crashed, you were fine. You had nine minutes and 59 seconds right. to resume the game. And then you have to play a little fast. But, you should, but honestly, like, you know, Paul Ritzel-style advice. If you needed the last 10 minutes on your clock, then you're already playing too slow. What's wrong with you? Speed up, man. Speed up. Yeah. So, you know, I, unless the format was really weird, you just log back in, you get rebooted in five minutes, you'll be fine. Now, it'll blow up the entire match before you can get back in. And then I had to, like, try to load Arena, like, four times to get Arena to acknowledge that I wasn't in the middle of a match. It never loaded. Whereas I'm pretty sure I got back within, you know, three minutes. Like, I'm just, I think that if I had been allowed to just take the two minutes during sideboarding to come back after all my timers run out, I would have been in time to play game three. Right. But it just blows you up, which I appreciate when it happens because I don't want to sit around for some guy to, like, exactly. rage quit. But, you know, it's really frustrating. And, like, I kind of feel like I should file for compensation somewhere. But, yeah. you know, drug question mark? Yeah. Got my gems back, right? <laughs> what? Uh, so, so looking towards the mythic championship, right? We, no, we no, talked no. about this idea that whatever. Tw- what did you say? Twenty eight percent, or what was the number? A third uh, of it will be Godos. A, thir- a third of it will be Golos. What would you hypothetically, if there wasn't a place where you could bet on this, would you be betting above or below that line? I think I'd probably be under because of the challengers. I think that more than a third of the MPL playing it would be unsurprising to me in in the in the interesting. But here's the thing, right? You are one of those people who no one's ever heard of, right? Maybe you're a streamer, maybe you spiked a qualifier, maybe you're a limited specialist who, you know, qualified for the weekend qualifier that way and then like had a good run. You know, who knows why you're here? And you're about to go up against the Seth Manfields and Brad Nelsons of the world. And you know that half of them are going to be playing this incredibly grindy, complicated deck that they have been practicing 
day in and day out. Where the game didn't go long enough that, you know, you're not going to outdraw them and win the match that way, right? If they have an answer figured out. And you don't know if they're going to come with a deck that's like 10 cards different because they figure out a way to win the mirror every time without sacrificing too much. You don't know if they've found a deck that has like these weird anti, you know, anti, like anti throw the dead cards that just make your entire strategy irrelevant. You don't know what kind of hate you're walking into. You don't want to handle all that stuff. So why would you walk into that den? Like, I, I think this is actually a, a very important thing, right? So like over the years, you have these tournaments where everybody knows what the best deck is in some sense, right? That is known anyway. And so like, oh, tricks is just too good. And when it's just so dominant that like literally no, no matter what 75 you play, you're not going to be better than 50-50 against it or not more than 55 or 60 against it. Then yes, you have to suck it up. Learn to play the deck, learn to sideboard, learn to handle it, hope for the best. Um, but in worlds in which things are still in flux, where the deck can still mutate to feast, to, to, you know, to feast on it, to eat its own tail and like figure out how to sacrifice to get mirror wins where nobody knows how to board, where you know, there's still lots of complex operations that nobody has written a guide to properly because it's just too complicated and everyone's too busy figuring them out for themselves. To try and walk into that tournament saying, I'm going to do this. And also, just can you imagine the, men- the mental pressure on these players that aren't used to it? And now you're going to have them play this deck match after match against great player after great player for an entire weekend? Like, they just... They rightfully should be very wary they can handle it from a mental perspective. Right. The endurance, like, I just thinking about myself, like, playing that deck all day for three straight days at my age, like, even if I'm ready, it's just really tiring. Maybe I just don't think I can handle it. And I'll just start to not be able to go through all of the bleeding. Like, I'm going to face, like, three mirror matches a day? Like, that's just, you know, and it only matters if you win, right? So you have to assume you're going to do well. That's interesting to me. Like, when you think about the fact that, you know, adding this sort of, like, additional layer of grueling for this deck in particular, um, do you think that the four split winners are... Obviously, that's a great position to be in, right? Getting the buy into day two is obviously awesome. But, like, that... You know, if day one is going to be this, like, grind fest, like, the ability to come in so fresh... You have fresh eyes... Yeah, you have, you, have, you have what they call fresh legs, right? right. Like you, yeah. you, you haven't been playing the entire time, and everyone else has been. Right, take advantage of that. Right, it's. I mean, that's already a huge advantage. But like, if you're putting people through this additional tax of having to play through this Golos deck, yes. like it seems like it, it's a, even a, another couple of percentage points of advantage. If you look at, that, I would assign to yeah. these players who are all great. Yeah, players. if you look at these four players, right. If Brad doesn't play this deck, it's because he found something we don't know about. Right. If he shows up with a known other deck, I will be very, very surprised. Be entirely unsurprised if he just has something completely different that he figured out separately, because he's good at that. He's good at solving metagames and figuring stuff out. My guess is he will find a way to win this mirror against someone who didn't also find a separate way to win this mirror. Right. And play Golos. It'd be very surprising to me if he didn't. And if Seth doesn't play it, it's because he thinks it's wrong. Right. Like, actively. But I'm guessing, he'll, I'm guessing he's likely to play it as well. You know, from what I know of Carlos, he's more likely to mix it up. <laughs> and who was the fourth? Uh, Lishi Tian. And Lishi Tian, go either way. Right. Like, he's a wild card. 
Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Lee's got a lot of stuff going on at home right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, but I meant... You do, I, I mean, so... so his I last know. tweet was, yeah, about the horror epic going on around him rather yeah. than... That I saw that rather than anything about magic. Yeah, I mean, and so so I'm, I'm curious how that's going to affect his preparation. I mean, in the past, um, turmoil at home has been a big... Uh, has been a wind in his back at, at events where he where he really um, maybe even just tries a little extra harder to be able to get his message out or to have a, a bigger platform. So I don't know. I'd be, I'd be interesting to see how that story is told at the Mythic Championship and, and, and how he performs and what he ends up with. I mean, I certainly hope that he is given a chance to speak, especially with everything that's happened with the NBA over the past day. I really hope that he's given this opportunity, like when he's interviewed, like, you know, as a feature player, right? you know, tighten the game, like to give us his firsthand experiences and to make it clear that, you know, we are not those kinds of people who just bow to that kind of pressure. Yeah. The, the NBA stuff is utterly chilling. Um, I, I thought that that whole, uh, the way that all played out with Daryl Morey. If, if you're not following this at all, Daryl Morey, the GM for the Houston Rockets, um, made some comments in support of the Hong Kong protesters. And the full force of China's sort of like governmental integration within their businesses and social media platforms um, were brought to bear on Daryl Morey to the point where there were articles written about the fact that he was going to get fired. Uh, from his job for that tweet, which he immediately deleted. Um, Rocket's ownership has distanced it. No, 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 there was no chance he was going to get fired. But, you know, um, it was chilling how quickly that rippled out. And to the point where the NBA offered China an apology, um, the Houston Rockets offered China an apology, and Daryl Morey ultimately deleted his tweet and offered an apology. And it was, it was, I mean, we didn't, we didn't want to get too deep into politics, but it was, it was kind of a chilling. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not my sport and not yeah. because of anything political in any sense. It's just because, you know, I just don't feel like it's dynamic in the ways that I enjoy. It's not strategic in the ways that I'm able to understand and enjoy. And I have all these people I know who are big fans who have never been able to communicate like why what I'm watching is interesting. <laughs> In the right way, as opposed to, oh, another three. Uh, oh, another foul shot. Uh, great. Thanks. Uh, also, I grew up as a Knicks fan. So it's, it's hard. It's hard, man. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then, you know, like all this emphasis over the past few years about, you know, how the NBA is encouraging its players to speak out about important issues and, and, and own the things, that, you know, to speak up and raise awareness and, like, all the good things that, like, you're supposed to do in contrast to these other leagues. And then they show that, oh, we just thought it was good business. You know, we sell more sneakers when we act like we care. That's what's going on. Right. You know, and I don't, I would never have thought otherwise. Right. right. Like I always thought they were, you know, it was like, you guys are laying this on a little thick was my feeling for a lot of it. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's not saying you should shut your players up. I'm saying that like, you know, you're wearing this like commercial apparel. Right. right? And like it shows. And now they're like, oh, but not China. So this reaction <laughs> sort of delegitimizes to, into your mind 
a lot of what the NBA has done over the past few years. I mean, it's it's kind of chilling when you say, you know, we'll we'll bring our the full weight of the Chinese Communist Party's censorship to bear on somebody who supports, you know, democratic protesters that, you know, our country is shamefully abandoned. But, you know, if, you know, separately from anything that anyone is doing, a bunch of assholes in the legislature pass a law that we don't like, we're going to, like, entirely withdraw from the state until you mean business. It's like, why don't you withdraw from China? (laughs) Like, if you have the courage of your convictions, let's do this. Like, it's just, you know, it's just, come on. Like, we all know. And, of course, it was the perfect confluence of, like, the Houston Rockets, as I understand it, are, like, the chi- was China's team until, like, well, yesterday. I mean, yeah, I mean, Yao Ming was one of the first. Right. Uh, I think the first Chinese player to come over here. Huge star. Yao Ming jerseys. Yeah. Had lots of merchandise. Um, he is active in the Chinese Basketball Association uh, as a as a, as a executive now. Um, in theory, that should all, yeah, uh, yeah. The Rockets have just always been in a sort of favored position in that in that uh, culture. Yeah, which is I mean, the same way I'm a Knicks fan because like that's who was around when I was first exposed to basketball, and so they right. had the Rockets, which is nothing wrong with any of it. Yeah, and and now it's like they're cutting off Rockets games because one guy had one tweet, right, and. You know, that's just not how it works, guys. You can't let that happen. You can't be apologizing. But it's actually heartening to me that, you know, the reaction, as far as I can tell, has been one of abject horror. And so it's often the case that, like, it's it's very good to have a very clean example when, like, there aren't lives on the line or anything hard. Like, you know, you know, we'll all live, right? right? Like, it's not like anything actually went physically that wrong, is that we've seen exactly what's going on. And, you know, it's amazing that South Park can make the news a week in advance, but <laughs> it's it's just now we know what this is. And now nobody in regular America can mistake what this is. Right. Yeah, and, so I, and to your point, ultimately where this all started from, I'd be curious to see what... Platform Lee Shi Tian has to, to right, and then the fact that like you know I'm trying to make a game, and then like shooting the you know the back of my mind is like, oh my god, you said this on a podcast. What happens if you can't get into China? And it's like, whatever. <laughs> you know, if we if we can't tweak our minds on regular stuff, we're right. done. Right. Like we just we can't let this be the way it works. We can't. We can't beat that way. Right. Well, and, and you and you don't want it to become a template for other powers, home or you know abroad or home to be able to um, censure. I, I've been sen- look. I've been censoring myself in some ways for a very long time. Sure. For a very a, a series of fundraisers and jobs and reasons and mostly because i just don't need the trouble sure well i mean right. that's but that, that's how i mean kind of to some extent how i was raised right yeah. like you know it was always like you don't talk about religion and you don't talk about politics in like a work setting or yeah. school setting or right. i had a blog post a week or two ago about predict it and the odds 
because the odds just didn't mathematically add up, right? The odds for the presidency and the odds for the nomination, like you didn't, sh- if you shut up and multiply, it's like, what? And like they're adding up to 112%. There's this, you know, very sad thing. So I wrote an article about all the fun things you can do to try and train your brain to think about probabilities by looking at these numbers. And, you know, I had to warn at the beginning, like, I'm not making any political statements. I'm not endorsing or, con- or, or condemning anyone in this post. That is not what this is about. If you say anything that supports or attacks any position or person of any kind, any political way, I am just going to delete your comments on site. No exceptions. There was no trouble. We had a good discussion. Right. You know, both places it went up. But, like, I had to be very clear that, like, yeah, I just, I'm just not going to do this. I don't need the trouble. Right. You know, that's not what this is about. And, you know, it's just, we can't, we can't let this happen. Right. right? We, we all can be united behind this being insane. Right. Um, I mean, to me, the most, uh, you know, a lot of people will be patriotic about a flag, right? To me, the flag has never, never mattered to me. I understand that it's an important symbol for a lot of people. But for me, the thing that sort of is at the heart of what makes America potentially this amazing place is freedom of speech, right? Is that ability to say something or believe in something. And, you know, it's freedom of press, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, all of that stuff, these these essential uh, pieces from, you know, that were laid out in the Constitution uh, are, you know, incredibly important and incredibly precious. And um, I, 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 you know, do think increasingly under assault. I think people don't understand how vital that is. Yeah. Like how every other freedom and everything about our lives depends on our ability to have freedom of speech. And people think that, you know, their speech they don't like, oh, that's hate speech. You know, because that expresses something hateful or I hate what they're saying, which is, I think, what they really mean at least half the time when they say that. You know, or that's false. We should stop them from saying that. Or, you know, that could mislead someone or cause someone to do something harmful or, you know, whatever. And, you know, or one of my favorites, like, the government's not censoring your speech. You still have your freedom of speech. (laughs) You know, so I can censor you and punish you and threaten you with whatever all I like. Because I'm not technically the government. Right. But, again, like, I hope this is a defining cultural moment going forward. Where everyone realizes, you know, this is the future that people want. Right. That a lot of people want and that people are endorsing. And maybe you should reconsider. That it's not going to be censoring the things that you personally don't like. It's not going to work out the way you expect. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. But uh, <laughs> let, let's, let's circle back to just end on a magic note. Sure. Give me your predictions for Mythic Championship 5 in terms of what, uh, what you're expecting the top handful of decks to be. Obviously, start, you could start at Golos and work your way down. Right. So you, you have this scenario a lot of these times in these places where you have this deck, Golos, which has a lot of flexibility, actually, in the way that you can assemble it in the sense that like, you have Actus to Colors of Mana and a lot of mana, and the ability to dig pretty hardcore to find your one or two copies of something that you care about. You can even play Fae of Wishes to get it out of your sideboard. You don't have to play only one Fae of Wishes if you don't want to, like, if that becomes important. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Um, 
And so my guess is that players like probably led by Brad Nelson, but like, you know, just because he's one of the four and like, you know, the famous breaker of standard specific formats on specific days. Yeah. And and other people in the crowd, they will have their goalless variants and they will uh be almost certainly the most popular deck in the field. And um I guess they'll do quite well. And part of that's because there's gonna be a correlation between I put in the work, I'm at the top of my game, I'm in mental shape, I am ready, I expect to do well, and I choose this deck, right? When Cedric famously brought two identical white weenie decks to duo standard. Yeah. That was a open, explicit acknowledgement of a certain kind of weakness. That was a, I'm happy to be here. I'm thrilled to be competing, you know, and I can handle this one deck pretty well. And maybe, and it allows me to get lucky. It's a pretty damn good deck. Maybe you don't have a good deck that beats it. And if that happens, I have three shots to beat you. Twice. And that might happen. Right. Right. But he's acknowledging that, like, he's giving up a bunch of percents to do the thing that he can do. And he had a lot of other players who did not to identical decks because they understand the inherent weak, extra weakness of knowing exactly what your opponent's going to play when debating what you're mulliganing and whatever. But bringing, you know, something that sacrifices to give you a chance. And, and I'm thinking about that myself, right? Because I know I'm not in this top tier. If I ever, you know, I mean, I think I was for at least a brief shining moment for a year or two, but like, I am no longer that person. You know, I'm going to have, you know, how many games of standard am I going to play? A hundred, 200, where these people are playing thousands, wow. you know, or something like that. Yeah. Just right. Roughly would be an order of magnitude outclassed because every day they're doing this. So, I am going to need to find something I'm comfortable with where I think I can find an angle that's different and that I think I can play in a way that will not exhaust me through, you know, three days of magic. And that's one of the reasons I'm looking at this deck. This deck seems sweet and it seems like, you know, you're just dealing with like each turn, do the value thing. Right. right? I just do the thing that makes sense. There is no super secret thing, really. You're not like, oh, if I take in this slightly different line. I'm sure there is, but it's not. Not quite the same way. No, you're not, you're not trying to do something super. I just, I, I found that, you know, the first six games I was like doing my best to lose every game. And then for the next, you know, 13 games when I went 12 and one, like by the time I was like, okay, I, I've got my practice in and it's time, serious time, right? I, I'm going to lock the door and focus because it starts to matter, especially once I won the first four or five. Right, you just gradually start paying attention. Right, yeah. like, oh, this might actually happen. Like, these people were playing creature decks, and now my deck is actually good. Like, <laughs> not all of them, but for a while they did. Uh, and then, you know, just sort of, there's usually a just clearly correct line for a while, and then certainly there are mid games where it branches out, and you give a wish claw talisman, and you have a lot of ways you can go, and you need to figure out exactly what to focus on. But it's also very much my style of deck in the sense of. I've never been a fan of these decks that are favored by often the very top pros who are really dialed in, where you are playing deck cards that are not so naturally strong, that have exactly what you need to get exactly the job done. So classically, this would be a Flores deck, right? Or <laughs> other co-hosts yeah. for this show. Where, like, Flores would show up to this Pro Tour qualifier, and he would have, like, yeah, I use my Erodian Sergeant to get, like, 
three steadfast cards because I don't can't think of a matchup where I actually need the four steadfast card. Whereas in my mind, it's like okay, I'm either going to run the four set. I'm either going to be able to get four steadfast cards from my Ramosian Sergeant, or I am bringing a different deck. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Right, but he's just done all the math, and he's like, no, 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 it'll be fine. The game will go 20 turns longer than it needs to, but I'll still win. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on here? And and so you see a lot of the times that, like, uh, you know, you look at with these Brad Nelson decks, and he just happens to have exactly the right cards to just go slightly over the top of or around or tap, parry exactly what he thinks he's going to face and just eke out these grindy games little by little or whatever it is. And that's never been me. Right. Right? I attitude is, I'm going to blow you out of the water. I'm going to be looking at three different very good options every turn, if I can possibly help it. Right? Once I, or do something incredibly powerful really fast. Right. And, you know, the Doom Foretold deck often will get to those situations where, by turn six or seven, you have a bunch of different lines. And they probably all win. Right? It's just a matter of which one has the largest room for something to go wrong. Right. But you're also just like ahead on every axis, right? Like, I did not win games at three. I won games at 24 <laughs> and 16, right? right? And so on. What, uh, was there any deck you saw or played against that uh, seemed like, ooh, make a, make, you know, put, a, put a pin in this because I might want to come back to this as a designer later on? Not that, you know, that you played against. Was oh, any, sure. Was there anything really interesting you saw? So I, I played against Golos twice. Yeah. Um, and it clearly made me think, you know, okay, sure, it's pretty solid. Yeah, you know, I see what it's doing. I, again, for the same reasons I said that I wouldn't advise, you know, somebody qualifying for their first Mythic Championship to play this deck, particularly, unless they already feel very comfortable, I wouldn't advise myself to play it either. So if you show, see me show up at the Pro Tour with this deck, it means you should have played it. Right. It means it's that good, right? Yeah. Or I found something that you didn't find. But, right. like, probably it just means that it's that good. I acknowledge that there was no choice. Um, so what else did I see? I saw a bunch of creature decks, as you do. It was surprising to me, actually, that players didn't net deck and do, like, expensive, cool decks more than they did. Because this is your one shot. Right. You know, to play... Whatever you wanted. Get your great henge on now. Are you going to go for it? Yeah. Or just let it slip? <laughs> and so many people, like, like, so many of them just let it slip. They just played what they're already playing because they've gotten games in, I think. Sure. Right? Like, and so they're playing these creature decks. Like, I mean, I faced one model red deck. I expected to face more. Because normally you have this phenomenon where people think, oh, I need to go 12 and 1. I need a deck that can go 12 and 1 in air quotes. They think, well, red could do that. <laughs> As opposed to, like, oh, Doom couldn't do that, right? Because, right. like, like, there's so many things that go wrong. But that's not actually how probability works. It's just yeah. stupid. <laughs> like, and so, you know, it was a little scary. Right. Um, because he resolves, he resolves a um, experimental frenzy. Ah. And I didn't have it. Right? That turn. I couldn't get it off the table that turn. And I'm like, I have to pass the turn to this guy if an experimental frenzy on the board. Yeah. I can set up the Doom Foretold for next turn. I can't get there now. So, so you just need the top of his deck to cooperate with you. I need things not to go nuts. Yeah. So that I can go Doom Foretold, sweep your board, go. And luckily he let me do that. Yeah. And then the rest of the game was easy. And there was the other turn where it's like, I have a bunch of stuff out. He goes, I have a dwarf. And I go, oh. So if I don't just... I guess I'm player cleansing. 
bye bye stuff. Like I don't <laughs> care. You have to die. But yeah, it just it just felt like I'm playing lots of sweepers and you're playing a bunch of one ones and this will not go well for you. Like he did the thing where it's like I also I mean, word again, to all oath of kind seems like yeah. Just but, also, but also word to all red players. Can you cool it with light up the stage? Not that you shouldn't play four. Right. Not that you shouldn't cast it. But can you stop thinking that you need to do this on turn two? Can you stop thinking that you need to be, like, selling out to do this? Like, don't, like, you know, if you, like, he lit up the stage, which he found light up the stage with. Immediately lit the stage right back up. No, 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 no. So he had, that was his, oh, you know, okay. he lights up the stage, finds two cards, one of which is light up the stage, right? So he passes the turn. You got to light up the stage on the queue. And then I kill his damage source, right? So then he's like, shock you out of my hand so I can light up the stage again with only one mana free. Right. And not have a board, right? On turn three. I'm just like, thank you, right? Like, I'm just so comfortable with this. And, you know, then he, then he, gets, then he gets his first, his first frenzy off of it. And I'm looking at the Dovin's veto and I'm like... This is great. <laughs> I turn forward too. You just, you just know, right? Like there's a certain amount of like when I first, uh, when Factor Fiction first came out, right? You know, the, the first thing to learn about how to split Factor Fiction, they're playing Factor Fiction, which means they love Factor Fiction, which means if they give them a chance to take Factor Fiction, they're going to take it, <laughs> right? That's how I actually got the head of that Pro Tour because I gave him that, the split where the Factor Fiction was like actually in the clearly worse pile, but I thought he would look at the better pile, but looked like I was trying to make it look like it was the worst pile when it was actually the better pile, so he'd take it, and he did. But, like, it's the same thing where, like, these players just love to get their value out of these right up the stages. Yeah, he'll play it off of, he'll play it off of there. 100%. If he has land four, he's doing this. I'm like, have land four. Think of myself, have a mountain in your hand. Please, just have a mountain. And it's like, yep, there you go. Problem solved. <laughs> but um, I saw the, uh, the Just Guy... Fires and Inventions oh. uh, deck. Um, so, like, I saw that, uh, I think Martin Yuza was, like, hawking this to whoever would buy it, and, like, <laughs> talking about how, you know, you get to Fae of Wishes with no sideboard, and this deck is awesome, and apparently did well in other play as well over the weekend. Right. It just didn't feel like it posed a threat, particularly. Well, what, what, is the, what, what is it essentially trying to do? Like, what's its, its thesis? Its thesis is, I'm playing Super Friends, and a bunch of sweepers, okay. but also four fires of invention. And so if I resolve fires of invention, suddenly I can like wish for whatever I want and then play it on this turn. Or I can, you know, I can play two planeswalkers on this turn because planeswalkers right. are awesome. And just my stuff is going to be great. And what would you categorize the deck as? Control deck? Yeah. yeah. Like, it, just, it was just a matter of, it turns out that if you do things, like, so, like, yeah, the game starts, he plays Narset, I Oath of Kayet, so now I have the only permanent. And then he plays Fires of Invention. And, like, I think he wished for something. Yeah. That might do foretold and pass the turn. Everything's sorcery <laughs> speed in that deck. So he's like, whoa, whoa. And I, I think when he got, he got something castable, so he wasn't just left right. out in the works, because he knew this might happen. Yeah. But it's just a matter of, Okay, now we grind for a bit, and I bring it, like, you know, he would do another thing, I bring it back. But once, like, if you don't draw a Doom Foretold, you're in a lot of trouble. But, like, if you, if you even have one, it's just, you just keep working you keep it. it. Yeah. Because, like, he has to let it do its magic. And then right. That deck does have sweet, though. I did. It's a, it's a sweet deck, but it also, like, the other problem is it has this problem of you wish, and there's nothing that matters right. in the board. 
for this purpose, right? There's a lot of stuff that's good utility for other purposes. But several times I've seen the answer be they get Chandra 6. Sure. And they play Chandra 6, and they give me an emblem. And then I play Doom Foretold, or get back Doom Foretold, and Chandra 6 dies. And now I lose a life for the rest of the game every turn. Yeah. And I've been in the game at 17, because, <laughs> like, I'm randomly getting life all the time. It doesn't matter. And they don't do any damage. Right. <laughs> cool. Uh, I saw, so I, I actually played against, uh, so it was clear that for a while they were pairing you against basically whoever, or other people with similar records just had random creature decks. And then there was some Oko, there was some Oko action, there was some green action, there was a, a bunch of green-black uh, value town style, like, grindy, rocky decks. Which I was very surprised, again, like, this is your one shot. And you're like, you know what I've always wanted to play? I've always wanted to play the rock. <laughs> the rock is sweet. And it's like, what? There are people who love the rock, always. I mean, I, I agree. Reed Duke has forged a Hall of Fame career. And clearly has card access whenever he wants it. I can agree. Play anything, has access to any deck list he needs through, you know, both his own excellence and the excellence of the people around him. Yes. Has no problem with card availability, but always is like, oh, I would really like to play this Thought Season, this Karma Right, whereas to me, like that, to me, that's what you do when you know what you're facing, you know what you have to do, and you can line up your cards such that you can make this work, and so you can sideboard into a deck that has all the answers to whatever you're facing. And none of that was true. What what is the what is the current version of the rock? And, and the, the rock is just like we, I, we just old school refer to any green yeah. black deck. No, but I mean this wasn't like a, no Golgari Adventure would no one would call it the rock, right? Yeah. If you play Edgewell Innkeeper on turn one, you're not rocking. Yeah. Like you might be strong, yeah. but you're not rocking. <laughs> so I don't think it's a thing. I think it's just a thing that people naturally, when given all of the cards and told go build something, right. if they don't know where to go to Star City or Channel Fireball or you know, MVG.com to find the good decks, like they just sort of throw together a bunch of solid cards. So this is like when I chaos draft or wacky draft, I in, in, invariably end up in the rock. It was just like, because oh, I'm like, oh, there's black removal spells and really good above rate green creatures. Yeah, and was, I will combine them to form a deck. It was like, here's some questing beasts and some fine finalities and some Baraskas and some <laughs> stuff. Like, I don't even know what to call it. Just stuff. There's pelt collectors and like, I just, oh my, like lions and tigers and bears. Like it's just slowly, like, like not, it wasn't like trying to do anything, is in like right like aside from the fact that like I just ground them into dust, right? It was just a matter of it didn't feel like they were really serious right. about what they were doing. They were just sort of like, oh, this gets some guy to a card advantage and eventually beat people who don't know what they're doing. And it's like, actually I'm better at that job than you are. <laughs> and I can just tear you apart by looking carefully. Uh, there was one great hench player. I didn't let him play it, but like there was one player who was gonna be trying to do it. That's the player where I got to do the, uh, you know, he played his Grove Chamber Guardian. Oh, and you. And then I'm like, oh, great. He's got his, he's going to get his Grove Chamber Guardian off. This is annoying. And then he instead plays Vivian. And my eyes just light up and I'm like, is it Christmas? Because I had the, the Teferi was on three. So I was like, I thought I was going to cantrip away. See, so, you know, save an, save an O for an egg or something. I was like, no, okay, let's just end this now. Right? Like, I just. Player cleansing, game is over, nothing to see here, moving along, thank you, no applause. And then the rest of the game is just like, okay, I'm up three cards, it's, yeah. it's not hard. But, yeah, there's a, a wide variety of people trying to do things, 
But it just didn't seem like it added up too much. And then, like, once I got to, like, eight or nine wins, I hit two Go-Go's decks, and, a, and the Jeskai deck has, like, three of the last four opponents or something. Okay. That, 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 but that tells you a little something about, because those are decks that are obviously doing as well as you were. Yeah. And, that, and that's what's kind of rising to the top. Right. And then at 11 and 1, I'm like, I just faced two Go-Go's decks from the last three games, right? Yeah. One of which is my loss. Yeah. And, like, I'm really nervous at this point. Because, like, my entire morning has been this slow tension build. <laughs> and it's just, you know, if you lose here, right? Yeah. Like, you just end up one short. Have, enjoy these card sleeves. I think it's like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, like, that bad. I think you had, like, a free sealed deck. Not even a draft. Just a free sealed deck. You know, like, here are two free passes. Thanks for saving the entire place, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, And so you're 11 and 1. And you're like, who am I going to face? It's taking a minute to pair me all these times. I know I'm not just facing, like, people who are randomly 4-2 and two and just, like, right. taking game out of time. And it's like, okay, name I've never heard of, but, like, you know, even most of the real ones I should have heard of, I haven't heard of. Guy plays a land. Like, huh, that's like a red-green land? Okay. And then I play a land. And then he plays a Creeping Trailblazer. What? That was my reaction. What? <laughs> and immediately all the tension is just out of the room. Like, it's just, I, like, I cannot possibly lose this game, right? Because, like, he's not doing anything that matters. And so it's just like, okay, you play the turn three Risen Reef. I'm like, die now. No grinding. No grinding for you. No, no, it's not even that. Um, he neoforms for the Risen Reef. Okay. That's what happened. And so I kneel forward for this Risen Reef, and I'm like, kill it. So we're even. You know, it's fine. Yeah. You got an extra card out of it. It's not a bad play. It's just, now I know who you are. And this game is over. It's things like, I've got to do before it's hold out. He sacks his creature. Draws. Face of land. Just frowns to himself in his room at 11 and 1, probably. Plays Omnath. Let's go. <laughs> Like, I can't let you trigger this. Like, take one. Like, I'm 17, sure, whatever. I just go play some permanent so I don't have to lose the Doom Foretold. Pass the turn back. Like, what do I even do? <laughs> one of the weird things was that I think there were at least three opponents who conceded games that were, like, very much not clearly over from right. their perspective. Right? I look at my hand, I'm like, I know I'm, you know, if you have a bad hand, I'm 99-1 here or something. But, like, they just, like, it's a pretty big prize here. Like, it's a three-figure value prize. Right. Certainly, the number of drafts I don't have to do now is not small. Right. So I'm kind of grateful right. that this worked out. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the, the, the format from regular people seems like a very diverse, nice place. I faced one mono red deck, but I know why. It's got some good cards in it. I totally respect it. I didn't face like any adventure decks, for example. Right. So there's this weird split. Like, adventure showed up in a lot of the decks in the MPL, and it seemed really powerful. And then in the Star City, it was nowhere. Yeah, I mean, the t- team events are a little weird, right? Because you're, you don't have as much, you're w- way less um, risk tolerant when you have to support two teams. It's all Golos, right? At yeah. the, it was like yeah. half of day two and yeah, then 92% yeah. of, day th- of the top eight or something. Which my brain was like, that's not how eight divides. What the hell is going on? Like, I think it was Chapman's article said 92.5% in the top eight. And I'm just like, wait, 
How many decks are in the top eight again? How did you get 92 and a half? <laughs> There's still like 24 decks? What? Like, you know, because like you have to do yeah. like seven and a half percent. Like, yeah. what's going on? What? But maybe he credited one deck as being half gold. Maybe, but it's just super confusing, right? And so I, I'm just looking at the the final analysis, trying to get a handle on it. And it's just, yeah, you can go under these decks. And more to the point, when these decks are trying to beat each other, you can easily go into these decks. All right. So we're going to, we'll include your list for the Doom Patrol deck. Uh, what's a t- one takeaway for people who want to try this deck on Arena? Like, what's one piece of advice you would give someone trying to play with this deck in the new standard? You're mostly just trying to not let card advantage things happen for them and get card advantage things happening for you. You just, you, you just have faith that you can grind it out or you're trying not to die. So right, don't, so like just, don't be so greedy that you let them get greedy. Yeah, like just sort of if they're trying to kill you, just stop them <laughs> from attacking you. Like do whatever it takes to kill their stuff and count on your deck to keep that going. And if they're not trying to kill you, just start the grind immediately, right? Like just and also just very important in the first few turns to sort of keep in mind to set up such that you have a permanent. Right. You only and you only need one. By, by the way, this, this, this advice sounds very similar to the skiing advice given to John Cusack in Better Off Dead. Go downhill very fast. If something gets in your way, turn. <laughs> very so, so I haven't seen the movie. You should. But does this advice have anything to do with the title? Uh, <laughs> not, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> because you can see how I might think those two yeah. things were related. I, I strongly recommend you watch Better Off Dead. Okay. I think you will very much enjoy it. Um, all right. So that's so we we talked about limited. We've talked about standard. Um, Rizvi Moshowitz, this is Brian David Marshall. Uh, Top eight magic. Thanks for listening. <laughs>